Caroline Green. Oh, I screwed that up already. It's good. We're we'll keeping it real. The, we'll, we'll leave that for the bumper. <laughs> That's right. It's awesome. So, Carolyn. No, Caroline. Carolyn Green. See, you're right. It, See? It Told messes you. with your head. Yeah, it's the Ean. I think it's the Ean. Carol- you know, and Carol- Green. Caroline Green. Caroline Green. Perfect. See, I have to say it slowly. <laughs> No worries, we got time, we got an hour. Right, 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 right. Okay, here we go. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Livingston, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer. How's it going today? I'm vrooming along right here. You're vrooming along right here <laughs> and you're vrooming along at your website. And uh, that is, um, among many others, tlgonline.com slash bizmarketing. I uh, hope I got that all right. And, That's it. And uh, what have you got going on there? Just describe what you've got going on. Oh my goodness. It's so much, busy, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a busy time because in the process of doing all my branding and uh, marketing research kinds of stuff, um, I wrote a book a few years ago and, you know, just, just published it at the beginning of this year and I got to do a TEDx on it uh, last Thursday. So Wow. Spent, that's cool. Yeah. I spent the last two months, um, preparing to do a 10 minute speech. <laughs> right. So, right. <laughs> like, really. so uh, much prep and then it's over so quick. It's kind of like Thanksgiving meal, you know, but so much longer. It was, it was really a, a really fascinating experience because I don't usually prepare like that. I, right. I like I used, talking off the cuff myself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And they told me, Nope, you can't do that. You really, really have to know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah. And, uh, so I actually pu- published some stuff on my Facebook page about how I prepared and uh, what I had to do. I had to learn to stand in front of my computer so that Amy, who's my number one marketing person, yeah. was on the other end. And I was like talking to her because I'm standing. And so I've got this setup where uh, my you had my, an audience. Right. And, and you yeah. had your speech. <laughs> My, and my computer right now, so now I stand whenever I do a podcast, and cool. it's on top of a garbage can. So there's a garbage can on top of my... <laughs> That's the best. But it's it's black on top of black, so it looks very vroom. It really does look sleek. <laughs> a high-speed, low drag? Exactly. Exactly. Well, what was that? What was doing the TED... The actual day, what, what, were you nervous as hell? Were you just a, a wreck or were you calm? What was it like? So it was the coolest thing in the whole world because people are getting ready and they're in the back room, you know, they're in the green room going. Right, right. And they're just a bundle of nerves. And it calmed me down because I went, so I, I, this one woman who was doing that whole body shake, I went, yeah. hey, come here a second. And we did patty cake. I played patty cake with her. Oh, that's the best. Oh, yeah, and, because you're getting in the child mind. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like she's slapping my hand. So she's getting some of her aggression out. Right. Right. And that's part of it. Cause like, you know, who wants to feel like that? You don't want to feel anxious. So you're kind of mad about it. Right. Uh, <laughs> and at the same time you're excited. And so, so I, I always do much better when I'm taking care of somebody else. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I forgot my own anxiety and I, I just took care of her and, and here was the coolest thing. So I had to get a 25, 30 minute talk down to 10 minutes, right? Yeah. That's How hard. You, right? Yeah. And, you know, I didn't have time to, to write a short speech, whatever that Mark Twain thing is. So um, I did. I got it down to 10, sometimes 10.32, something like that. Yeah. And the guy is, you know, dropping the mic down my my dress and, you know, he says, can I un unzip the back of your, your dress so that I can uh, stick the you know, the box on your bra. And I'm going, uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> There's no dignity left. I guess I, that's I, okay. <laughs> and so while he's doing that, I'm trying to think about something else because I'm kind of like weirded out that, you yeah, know, that's I have a little weird in front of this guy. Right. And, um, I said, Oh, the woman in front of me, like, how long is she on? And he said nine minutes because Ted talks go from six to 18. Okay. And so I said, um, what do you see for mine? He said, 17. I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> 17? Yeah. So, so here it was eight minutes before I'm going on. And right. I found out that I had 17 minutes. That's when I found out. Oh, my goodness. I'm just closing this window for the noise. Okay, that's fine. And... But it had the opposite impact. I thought, oh, I don't have to worry about the extra 30 seconds. I can just relax. And I just huh, breathed a sigh of relief. And I right. went out knowing I had extra time. So I ended up going 1140 instead of uh, 10. And who knows how much time I actually had because they were having trouble with their timers anyhow. Mm, so, right. Wow. So I... I went out there, I felt calm and I've had, I've hyperventilated in front of groups before I, you know, I speak <laughs> a decent amount, right? but I have hyperventilated and nobody knows it, but I can't breathe. I'm <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know that feeling where you're like riding the breath. I do. I do know that feeling when you're just so uptight, you can't hardly ever breathe. And it's like every word you have to like, <gasps> <laughs> and nobody knows it you know it right they right it's it. totally internal right right but you like you get off the stage and you want to collapse on a bed or something so that you can breathe again right right wow. it didn't happen it did not happen i was calm and i went you know what this is not about me it's for the audience and i looked them in their eyes mm. and i saw them and the words were just kind of came out of my mouth I moved in little ways that I learned about moving. Right. And, um, yeah, it, it sounds like you well. had fun with it. It went well. It, I, I, and the other thing about this stage that was interesting was that you couldn't really hear the audience. Hmm. So there were a couple of times I cracked a joke and I didn't hear them laugh. Okay. Weird. And the applause. 
I know that is weird. And the applause at the end, I didn't hear it in the same way as Amy, who was in the audience, told me about after that they were laughing at all the right moments and that the applause was loud. Now, I heard it in the recording. Okay. But I didn't hear it on stage. That's so weird, though, because it's going to that you feed off of that feedback. Right. So I had to use visual cues rather than auditory cues to see that I was in the right direction. Right, right, right. And and that no matter what, it was going to be okay just because I was there and I was feeding them. Yeah. That's amazing. Sounds like you had a blast. Now I want to go watch the video. <laughs> Is the video available now? It's not yet. I can okay. say I can send you my bootleg of Amy doing it on her iPhone if you're interested. <laughs> Well, uh, just maybe email me or have Amy email me the link or I'll just, you know, put a reminder in my calendar. Go check it out. So when it comes out, I want to watch now. That that sounds like fun. And eventually when there is a public link, we'll put it in the show notes because we talked about it now. So everybody's going to want to watch. Yeah. Yeah. That'll probably be in about six weeks. Okay. Yeah. No biggie. It'll be there forever. It's it's not going anywhere. The, the, The show will be around. So, okay, so let's go back in time a little bit. Oh, what? go ahead. I've presented oh, probably like hundreds of times, mm-hmm. maybe more than that. Um, but this was the first time it was a totally public venue. Right. And that was different. And it was it could have been very anxiety producing. But I practiced probably around 50 times. That's enough. And I, I, I <laughs> I was really proud of myself for doing that. And I get there and it's the night before, you know, we have the rehearsal on Wednesday and there's a rehearsal dinner on Wednesday night. There's this other woman there and I hear her talking and she tells people she practiced her 10 minutes 500 times. Wow. That's a little too much. Whoa, 500 times. Really? Like I I, I might've had to kill myself, you know, like... (laughs) Well, you know, I, you know, I don't think I could do 500, but I know people like that. Were you a fan of George Carlin? Oh my God. Yes. So I didn't know this for years and years and years because I, he always seemed so just natural and in the moment, Mm -hmm. but he probably practiced all of those routines start to finish more than 500 times. You're kidding me. Wow. No, they were you know, so practiced and so honed that they seemed natural. Now that's practice. <laughs> I mean, he you would know, literally take a year to, to work on those hours that he would do on HBO. So that's a style thing. It is a style thing. Yeah. Because in Myers-Briggs personality typology. Yeah. Um, I'm a P, which means that I like to keep the doors open. You know, I change right. things last minute. My, my my last performance, the one that I did on stage, was not the same as the one that did the day before or the day before that. Yeah. I changed the order. Right, right. No, I'm so the I, same way. My style. I would uh-huh. like to have a very bullet pointy sort of outline of things right. I want to talk about. And then just sort of wing it <laughs> for each bullet. You know, exactly. you know, more or less the same points are going to get hit every time, but I'm not going to, it's boring to say the same thing, you know, every time. And then it loses the emotion that's attached to it. Right, 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 
Right. And the, and the, um, and the points are there just to, you know, keep a structure on the whole thing. You know, I'm going to talk about this for a while. <laughs> let's see what happens. Okay. I've talked about that for a while. What's the next bullet? <laughs> okay. Let's talk about laugh. this for a while. Yeah. All right. You're going to laugh at this. So one of the, um, pointers is to take your like eight points, whatever they are and write them on your hand. Okay. And so for the rehearsal, I did that. Yeah. And then right before I went on stage, I went to the bathroom and I washed my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I just had this blue mess all over my left palm. It was like, right. oh, Well, that on. didn't work. <laughs> you know, it was like one of those WTF moments. Like, really? Right. <laughs> and I, uh, I didn't need them anyway. It's all nah. right. Nah. <laughs> just have a note card, you know, like one three by five card with, you know, how many ever bullets you need. You know, and when I say bullets, they're like two, three words. You know, talk about this. <laughs> And you don't need talk about. You just need the this. Right. Well, well, my intro had to do with a bullet. And it was a bullet this guy took to his head that he carried for 25 years. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It, it got everybody That's a good very story. Sick. Yeah. The bullet that didn't kill me. I'm going to keep that forever. Yeah. So I can tell you that story at another time. But, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Teased out. Okay, well, let's talk about Sharon. What was Sharon like when you were in high school? Because this is Vroom Vroom Veer, so we have to go back in time and and talk about your life a little bit. Well, can I go back even further? Of course. So when I was three years old. Three, wow, okay. Three to four. The only time I got any attention from my mother was when she came home from the store. They had a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And she would be ironing my big brother's shirts and my daddy's shirts. Okay. So we would be in the basement and she would be at the ironing board and she had 27 shirts. I don't know why it was always 27, but there were 27 shirts that were, you know, sprinkled and then rolled up in this particular, you know, egg roll configuration. And she would take each one out and she would iron it. And while she was ironing, that was the only time I got to talk to her. And so I would start out with a question. I, I have no idea. I must have really missed her being around when I was tiny. Right. So I would say, Mommy, what was I like when I was a baby? And she'd say, you were cute. And that would be it. Mm. But I learned that if I said, Mommy, what were you like when you were a baby? Mm-hmm. She would open up. Ah, okay. And I learned that if I asked questions that didn't have a definite answer, like yes or no, or red or blue, and let her, you know, it's an open-ended question, which we teach in interviewing, right? Right. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Talk about I, X. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So, so, Mommy, what was it like when you were little? Is a very different thing, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Did they have cars when you were little? No. <laughs> oh, well, well, I you guess were, we're done then. <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I didn't know you were that old, Jeff. I'm you? not. No, no. But the cars, <laughs> the cars are still real well. No, they were around in the 30s. So I don't know anybody that old. <laughs> My dad is 78 or 79. Uh-huh. He was born in 38. So there was cars already. They were still very old, you know, but I think there may have been cars in the early 1900s. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know either. 
Yeah, I, I the only the only point of reference I have is uh, East of Eden. They were talking about how cars were taking over for horse and buggy, and it was in the 30s. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. So they Maybe were around, but I don't think they were like prevalent until the 30s and 40s and 50s. So are you like a sensitive, intuitive kind of person? Uh, maybe a little. Okay, well, maybe you could channel Henry Ford and I could interview him for you. <laughs> sure, go ahead. <laughs> I made this thing. It's called the, uh, what did he, what was he known for? The assembly line, right? Oh. Yeah. yeah I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was more of a work method than you really like, it's like, how to like make a conveyor belt where one dude can do one thing over and over and over again. Thanks, Henry. That's not right, fun. Right. <laughs> you and I would have hated that. Yeah, we didn't really need that. Okay, so moving on past three, uh, between three and four, where you're uh, trying to inter- in- interrogate your mother about her life and find out more about her while she's ironing. What else did you learn, by the way? And you must so, have learned lots of stuff during those so ironing I, sessions. I, you know, she told me about she was she was born in Czechoslovakia, oh, wow. and so uh, she came to the United States when she was a teenager. And um, so I learned some things about the old country. And she she was a little bit of a pain in the neck because she she liked to scare people. She really liked to scare people. <laughs> <laughs> Here she's telling this three to four year old little girl ghost stories as if they were true. Oh, wow. So she was a little bit of a scare. She told me this story. God, I've never said this publicly before. You're going to be the first person who ever hears it. Cool. Uh, that now she told me this as if it were true that it happened when she was little. And you're like three yeah. or four. So you're going to believe her completely. Yes. Right. And I remember every word of it. So. There was a cow that her father and grandfather had in the barn. And for a while, every morning, they would go to milk the cow, and it was dry. So they figured somebody was stealing the milk from the cow. And they set up a watch one night, and at the witching hour, a wagon wheel rolled over to the cow and it turned into a snake and it sucked the cow dry. And then it turned back into a wagon wheel and rolled back over into the corner. So you can imagine their shock that this happened at all. I mean, they jumping out of their skin, right? <laughs> right. And the farmer, you know, my grandfather or my great grandfather, I'm not sure, supposedly took a rope and put it through the spokes. And when he completed, when, uh, you know, tying it up, the wheel turned into a woman who was known to be a witch. And the, the rope was through every opening in her body. And she begged them to take it out and that she would never come back again. And that's the story that my mother told me. That is scary. Right? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I have, I, it's I, fun. I, I like it, you know, from, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. It was she scary. did. It she was, was like, she did like to freak people out. You know what it's, though? But that was kind of like sport, you know, for adults when I was a kid too, you know, they would like make up elaborate like stories to tell kids 
just to mess with them because they were young and they could. (laughs) The whole thing about snipes. Did you ever get into that one? Oh, tell me. Snipes were like this imaginary little critter, right? Where adults would take kids out on a snipe hunt. Right, Thanks but snipes never—yeah, <laughs> snipes don't exist, right? But you would run around and pretend they would pretend like they saw one, you know, things like that, just to mess with kids. I mean, it's bad enough when I see what I call chipmunks in the park in Central Park. Out <laughs> of me, <laughs> they're chipmunks with very long tails that have no hair on them, and they gross me out. So I call them. <laughs> Squirrels are great. Rats, not so much. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So what was Dr. Sharon or Sharon, what was Sharon like in, uh, in high school? Who did you hang out with in high school? So let's see. So um, I was very shy and um, until I was a senior. In my senior year, I kind of came out. I mean, I was like a geo captain, and I did that kind of stuff. But okay. I was pretty shy. I was, I was chubby, and you know, now I weigh 125 pounds. Back then, I weighed like 170. Wow, okay. And I know. So, um, you know, I was hiding. I was kind of in hiding. The weight was like hiding. Yeah, yeah, but, I get that. But I, uh, you know, I started to come out. I had a girlfriend, Annette. And we used to sing together. We would go into Manhattan from from Bayside, Queens, you know, out on Long Island. Mm-hmm. We would pretend that we were in some kind of a musical or something, and we'd go down the street. <laughs> we'd walk down the street singing. I and, love it. Uh, it was fun. It was really, really fun. So, and by the time, go ahead. Mm-hmm, by the time I got into college, when I got into college, I finally decided it was okay to come out and notice boys and, um, and I lost, I lost the weight. So by the time I was 19, I was down to a normal size. Right. Uh, But in that period to complete, I, I don't know if you know this, Jeff, I have interviewed over 62,000 people in my career. Wow. 62,000 interviews. My goodness. Now I'm counting ones that were in groups of eight to 10 as well. So no, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. So group. Right. But one-on-ones and groups, and I've done, you know, like thousands of doctors and all kinds of other people. Um, And part of my training when, you know, there I am, 19, and now I'm going out on dates finally. Right. I was nervous about it. And so my mother, who was this little bombshell, though she pretended she wasn't, um, (laughs) she said, darling, it's very easy. This is what you do. Then you get in the car, you ask them questions, and then you listen, and that's it. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, guys are so simple. It's true. She nailed it. You know what, though? Uh, if you add in a, a thoughtful laugh every once in a while, you, you've really got the guy. There you go. Yeah. Oh, you're so funny. <laughs> and, it, and, you know, you don't really have to fake it that hard. Really? <laughs> right, because they're pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, like even if they're not funny, you know, that's that's a like you just pretend to laugh, you know. If, or, or if, if the dude is worth the investment, you know. It's funny that they're not funny. You can laugh at that. Okay. Like, true like, enough. True enough. It's so not funny. Oh my god. <laughs> He's so not funny. It's funny. 
You're killing me. I loved your mom impersonation. Oh, thank you. Did she really sound like that? Probably worse. Probably a lot worse. (laughs) Kind of sounded like Dr. Ruth. Well, you know, it's that European sound that's some kind of a hybrid of Austrian, Hungarian, Czechoslovakian, Polish. Yeah, yeah. It all like after a while. So... (laughs) When I, when I was very uh, young, like, you know, six, seven, eight, people thought I had an accent. Okay. That, uh, and I think that I had picked up some of her, her European sound for a while. I don't, you know, I don't have that now. But she, she passed away several years ago. And when I missed her, this one, I realized I knew exactly what she was going to say. Like, exactly. So this one time, I pretended to call her up and have a conversation with her. And, um, and I knew what she was saying, so I answered in her voice. And, you know. <laughs> I do that too. I, 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 some of my best comedy with my wife is me uh-huh. impersonating, impersonating my mother. Oh my god! I know, it's hilarious. So, I think well, it's funny. So, you well, know. give us a little bit of that. Ugh. I, well, like uh, one time, and this one has kind of stuck, right? So I. We, I don't know why. Okay. Maybe I was like watching home videos or something. I don't remember the context of why this came about, mm-hmm. but it was, a. we were imagining that my mom was watching a video of me in the, in my military uniform. Cause I was in, in the air force forever, uh, mm-hmm. marching. Right. And, and then for some reason she was taping it or videotaping it. Right. So I, I don't, again, I don't remember why we were talking about this. I just remember me impersonating my mom going, Oh, look at him. He's marching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she loved you. Right. Right. You know, and it was kind of like all of a sudden she was Edith Bunker from all in the family. <laughs> But she kind of sounds like that, you know? So anyway, yeah. That's adorable. <laughs> it went it went further, but I'll uh, I'll spare you. So you're just reminding me, this interview is going down a path I didn't expect it to go, to go okay, down. Okay, great. I was doing uh, focus groups for travelers insurance. Okay. In uh, South Jersey. And... Um, my parents found out that I was going to be there and that that's where they lived. Without telling me, they showed up. Now, I'm in the front room, focus group room. There's a two-way mirror, the client sitting in the back, and the moderator, which is what I'm called when I do that, is in the front room with, with the uh, respondents, you know, with the consumers. And in this case, it was consumers of insurance products. Right. And they were testing new logos. And so... They didn't tell me they were coming, and they walked into the place and said, "Excuse me, but uh, we are here to see our daughter Sharon." <laughs> okay, I already love it. And they brought bagels because my mother at that point worked in a bagel store. Yeah, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and uh, I mean, she was well known. I get on a plane, and somehow or other, they go, oh, "Your mother's the bagel lady of Cherry Hill," and I go, "Oh my god, I cannot." <laughs> So, so they brought a big bag of bagels and and cream cheese. Sure. And they and so there are like three or four tiers of chairs in the back room with like one level up. And they come and they sit right in the front where the client belongs, right? Yeah. So they're sitting there and apparently they kept on going, 
Hey, did you hear that? She's so cute. Oh, my daughter, she's so cute. And I... <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. What an experience. <laughs> well, and, and then at the end, my, my father used to throw pizzas because he worked at Vito's Pizzeria. And so he'd actually like throw the, the, the dough. And right. so and he would play the violin for them because he would entertain with his violin. He invited them all back to their house. And um, (laughs) I never worked with that client ever again. No, you couldn't. How could you possibly? (laughs) Because that's just, that's worlds colliding right there. Oh my God. I mean, you know, the report was fine. They They got the results they needed, but they were so like overwhelmed by my mommy and daddy showing up. That's the best. I love that. <laughs> and I, I didn't find out until the group was over. So I walked in the back and was like, oh, Mom, Dad. <laughs> right. Yeesh. And then you were you like, what, what was the feeling? Like total mortification or amusement? Well, it's amusement now. At the time, it was mortification. mortification. <laughs> it was the first time that I was working with them. And yeah. 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 Yeah, I've never had, I I always thought that that was always sort of like a weird thing because you have sort of like your, your grown up adult self uh, at work, right? (laughs) That you're, and then, and then I always like thought, okay, that's one thing. That's a world in my mind, (laughs) right? For me anyway. And then when I go home to visit my parents, I sort of like, it's almost like in my mind I'm going back in time and I'm just trying to be that guy that I was when I used to live there, you know, right. kind of, not really, but in a way, I don't want those worlds intermixing in a way. <laughs> so well, when my parents came to that. see me, yeah, um, it was a little weird because, you know, I would take them and now they're here in my L.A. world. I was like, wow, this is strange. So, yeah, I, I did my best to keep them on the tourist track and keep them away from my actual work life. So what you're mentioning now, though, is very interesting, and it's a technique that I actually use. Yeah. I, if I'm doing product research, for example, with something that's been around for a long time, like um, Johnson's Baby Powder. I'll tell you a story about that. Please. Uh, if you invite people to go back to that environment, they kind of regress naturally. It's almost like a hypnosis technique. Right. And they can tell you the story of what happened. So, um, you know that more grown-up men use Johnson's baby powder than babies do. I believe that. And would you like to hear a common story about why they like it? I would. I'm fascinated. I have a common use, but I, I want to hear the, the the more common one. So they rationalize it. You know, that whole Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow by Dan- Daniel Kahneman, if you haven't read it, it's a really good book to, to read. It talks about how we make decisions and we make decisions quickly and viscerally. And right. then we try to explain it with logic. Right, 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 right. So the logical reason that men give as to the reason why they use Johnson's baby powder is that they learned it from their coach. Hotel, tell them, like, you know, you want to be dry down there and stuff, and uh, <laughs> it really works. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, you could see an ad with the uh, the coach coming out and handing him a, you know, container of Johnson's baby powder, and the guy, like, you know, putting it down his pants, right? Right. 
But the true thing, all of these guys, to a person, I must have interviewed 20 of them, had stories about their grandma diapering them and putting baby powder on their buns. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, it the, was- and then the smell <laughs> and the experience and the, and the feeling. Right. Yeah. And the love, and, and grandma loving them and oh, being right. you know, grandmas are more accepting than mommy and daddy very often because they don't they're not with them all the time. Right, right. Wow. So that's that makes real I mean, just think about all the different uh sensory paths, right? <laughs> that, yes. that go into that whole memory encoding. That's that's what I like, you know, get into because you've got everything. You know, you've got yeah. like the warm feeling of being loved, right? And that's that's touching they're, all the buttons all at once. They're coming out of the bath and grandma's holding them right. and playing with them and then putting the powder on and the touch and the warm smell, right? All of that. It's all it's it's all NLP stuff, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. So we so basically all dudes uh raised in America have that encoding. Wow. A, a lot of them. And that, the yeah. I would imagine most, you know, hopefully. Well, I don't know. Is it common right. practice? <laughs> I, now, I know we all had diapers and we all like Peter pants. Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know it's, if everybody used Johnson's baby powder, but. But, you know, or, or the men in one. Right. But but there there was a lot with it. I mean, these people happen to use Johnson's baby powder as adults. Right. So right. right. That's what Johnson stories. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, there was a time when I was doing a ton of research for Sarah Lee Hosiery, which is legs and uh, Haynes, those kinds of things. OK. And uh, they made the hosiery industry made a huge mistake. Uh-oh. They came they came out with tights. Right. Now, why, why was that a mistake? Because hose, run, stockings run. Right. Right. Tights. Okay. I get you. Tights, tights do not. Right. And the fashion industry actually figured out how to make tights formal. So they, were, they could be sexy and formal. As a matter of fact... It allowed women to wear short skirts and still feel protected and covered, right? Right. And they don't run. You got to kill your tights to make them run. I, I've got pairs of tights, you know, my Ann Taylor tights that are probably five years old. Right. I, they I, last I, forever. Right. Where the, were, the hose would like, you know, one stray nail or something. They were right. break, they yeah. were running all the time. Two or three uses. That's it. Really? Not wow. too many. Wow. Oh Not my goodness! I had and no I, idea they were that bad. Yeah, they're so fragile. So it was a <laughs> a really bad mistake, right? Or you know, good for us though, right? As consumers, well, good, not a, not good for the business. Not good for their business at all. Right. And, <laughs> and they they were selling tights only a little bit more expensively than these pantyhose, right? So sure. why would you buy? If they're now fashionable and they wear better and they're even more comfortable, sure. Why would you wear pantyhose? Whoops. So yeah, <laughs> that's, so that's get fascinating. So what I, did what did you study? You you became a psychologist in college. Yes. Wow. So what was that like? What was your um, your undergrad period like? Where did you go to school? 
So I, I studied psychology all the way through. I went to the City University of New York. Okay. So I, and then I got my master's at Fairleigh Dickinson and, um, and my, my PhD, uh, was a, a Rutgers product. So, okay. so at any rate, I want to come back and tell you the pantyhose thing just real quick. No, no, sure. And the reason why is that, so there, their business is going down the drain, right? Okay. And I get a call from my client who happens to be a guy and he says, Sharon, I said, yeah, how are you? He says, I have a kind of strange request. Okay. He said, well, we're doing this promotion online and we've gotten a huge amount of sales from guys. Yeah. Well, yeah. He said, we want to find out if it's a trend or what's happening because we don't understand it. It's like come out of nowhere. And these guys are buying hose? They were buying pantyhose, you know, like the stocking type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I had to interview 25 men who were wearing, buying and wearing pantyhose. That's awesome. And I was, so, I was not going there. I, in my mind, I thought, hmm, what are they doing with them? But wearing them was not what was coming to mind. Okay. Only one of the 25 was gay. Right. The rest of them were cross-dressers. Right. And they were straight. Right. And um, I'll tell you how they came to it in a minute, but I went back in time with them, just like we went back in, in time with the baby powder. I, I had them go back to their initial thoughts about pantyhose, and here's what I went back to with them. They were at their grandmother's feet, and they would be playing with her leg. They would be rubbing up and down her leg. Right. And they liked the way it felt and smelled. Yeah. Very, they, were, they were soothing. Yes. Yeah. So they wanted the experience for themselves. Why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah, you know, so, I, I thought they were going to be saying, like, they were they were used to somebody in their life having, you know, maybe a mom or a, a, so in this case it was a grandmother. Is that what you said? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was either going to be that or they liked their, their uh, wife and or girlfriend in those better because of the feel. Right. Or playing around. So why wouldn't they want to feel that for themselves? Right. Right. Because tights don't feel anywhere near as cool. Right. No, I'm with you on that. <laughs> so did they did they make this a niche market? You know what? I'm not sure what they did with it. It turned out. Oh, so here, how did the guys find out? There's a cross-dressers association. <laughs> and one of them found out about this coupon that was on the site and shared it with everybody in the association. So that's how that happened. That's amazing. Wow. So is it true now that women just don't wear hose anymore? No, I Is that kind of like a a lost thing? I think that they still do, just not as often. Okay. Um, You know, because then it becomes like... They've got a different use case. It's once in a while, whereas tights are just so easy to wear all the time. So the everyday is the tights, so you don't have to worry about the runs. And then for the special occasions, okay, I get it. That makes sense. I like it. 
Okay, so yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about what you were like in in college days and uh, and how you how you navigated that time of your life. So. I was like, you know, an A plus student all through high school. And then in college, when I got thinner, then my eyes opened to the fact that there were men out there and I had a little bit of time concentrating. (laughs) Right. Um, And I was, I started out pre-med because my, Mm. you know, my big brothers were doctors and I thought about the idea of cutting up a cadaver in med school, and I decided that was too disgusting. I didn't want to do that. So I can see that. I, I went looking around. And, and also, when I started dating, it brought up all kinds of taboos in my family because my parents were very religious. Okay. And so I was, you know, I was supposed to keep a kosher house and be a virgin when I got married. And why my parents would want that, I have no idea. I mean, why would anybody want that? But um, Well, those were the rules, apparently. Those were the rules. <laughs> those were just the rules. They didn't want it either. <laughs> Pro- probably not. If you right. saw the way my mother dressed, you say, really? Right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, uh, and so it brought up a lot of psychological stuff for me. And I became fascinated with psychology. Nice. So... I started studying psychology, I guess, probably to understand myself and my background. I was doing like, you know, comparative religion stuff and alternative religion stuff. And uh, it it got me very excited about, you know, psychology, philosophy, religion, that kind of thing. And I just never lost my love of psychology. But at the same time, I didn't tell you this. I I went to work when I was 11. Oh, wow. yeah, I was in my parents' store at 11 years old, and the part that, that I loved was I got to be near my mom, because otherwise the only time I saw her was when she when was she ironing. When ironing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and spitting out wisdom like Dr. Ruth. Right. <laughs> but I, I learned from her. I learned how she invited people to buy things. So I'll bet you know this. If you ask somebody anything else, they say no. But if you ask them what else, they think about it and say something else. They're more likely to say something else than if you say anything else. If you want to, if you want to shut somebody down in an interview, if you say anything else, they'll go, oh, no, because we all want to say no. We never get enough chance to say no. So if you give people an opportunity to say no, they'll say no, you know, 90% uh, of the time. So what else instead of anything else? Yes. So, and there's a psychological difference in our in our makeups collectively yes. that what else, what else is more open, I guess. Yeah. Well, oh, but- yeah, you're right. When I think about hearing anything else, you almost instinct. I just want to say no. <laughs> why is that? It doesn't matter. It, I guess why doesn't really matter as long as you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I have some theories about it. Okay. One of them being that we, 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 we need to say no. We're, we're forced to say yes. And, you know, right. All through school and everything, and you're you're only a good kid if you say yes to what your mother asked you for, your father asked you for, the teacher asked you for. Right. But the other thing also is if you're in a store and somebody says anything else, you feel like they're pushing something on you. Right. So you say, "No, I'm done. That's all I'm spending." Mm. Right, right. You're so, not going to get me. Exactly. Right. Whereas, but if, in, but, yeah. Okay. 
yeah, describe the difference in what else because I know it works. I just I'm kind of like confused by the why <laughs> because it's it's functionally the same. What else? But what when they say what else, it's like I want to kind of say yes. And that's a you little weird. I, I, oh, that's what it is, right? It's like, what else? It's like, hmm, I wonder if you it's... You start works. scanning. Like, oh, what else might there be? Hmm, let me think about that for a moment. Right, right. Interesting. Wow. That's an NLP thing for sure. And then that also, when you're doing an interview, if you ask people what else... Oh, so there was this really uh, famous... Uh, TV, or maybe it was radio back then, a guy, an interviewer named Edward R. Murrow. Mm, I remember Edward R. Well, I, I remember the name, but... Right. Yeah. So he was famous for no matter what people said, at the very end, didn't matter how many things they said, he'd say, he'd lean in, he'd go, and? And then he'd wait. And then people would reveal something really heavy duty because they had they had dumped everything that was, you know, on top. And so that and with the pause forced them to go deeper. And. (laughs) (laughs) My father beat me. Well done. (laughs) Thanks for playing along. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So Isn't that cool? yeah, I like the lean in too. Another mm-hmm. one of my guests told me that that um, he learned some stuff, some of these uh, NLP techniques, and um, he his thing was he was a uh, um, what was he doing uh, interrogation kind of mm-hmm. slash interview. So and he did that as kind of like a consultant for the government and the FBI. Mm-hmm. So he was really good at playing good cop essentially. But he also used it on his kids, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So he was like, he was like, he taught me this technique about the lean in, right? And then the uh, the conspiracy tone. It's like, come here. Where's your mother? <laughs> it's like I- I've got a secret, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then and then already, right? I've established this. I'm going to share something that I don't want your mother to know about. So the kid's already a little bit open, right? And then, you know, then it, it's sort of like I, you, instead of saying no to the thing, it's like, it's like he, he told this story about, hey, um, why don't you uh, finish up your homework before or finish up your chores before you go and uh, play with your friends or something, right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, I got to go right now. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, come here. Where's your mother? <laughs> and he'd be like, I know you feel like you can't get it done before you go play with your friends. But I bet you'd feel a whole lot better when you were out there doing your thing if you didn't have this hanging over your head. And and the kid be like, ah, yeah, I think you're right. Why didn't you want mom to know? In, in. Right. <laughs> and you need something, you know, make up something, you know. Well, I can't give her all my secrets. Right. It's yeah. so cute. I love that. I love that. That's adorable. Yeah. Yeah. He was amazing. But you, you kind of remind me of him with your uh, your NLP. Wow. This is you've been at this for a while. How did you get into so 
Did you have a formal uh, psychology job? No. What happened is I fell into, well, I was in college in, in my undergraduate years. I, I've always been one of these people who doesn't need a lot of sleep. And I work like 16 hours a day just because I like, I, I love what I do. I'm, I'm blessed. I love my work. Right. And, um, that is cool. I love creative process. I love talking to people. I love doing the interviewing. I love problem solving. And so during the day I'd be at school and at night I just fell into a job as a telephone interviewer. So I already had natural curiosity. When I got my first job, I told my, he asked me why he should hire me. I said, because I'm really nosy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good trait for being a telephone interviewer, I guess. Right. And so I I went from being a telephone interviewer to an in-person interviewer. And, you know, now I do a lot of interviews just over Skype and stuff. So, um, or go to webinar, things like that. But, um, uh, it, I just fell into it and I, I didn't even know what marketing research was. And there I was, you know, 18 years old working in marketing research. And wow. so it was, you've been doing this since you were 18. Well, how do you think I got to 62,000 people? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Thank you. <laughs> well done. Wow. 18. My goodness. So it's almost like your your college was filling in and, and, and giving you credentials to say you're good at what you're already doing. Isn't that amazing? I was I, I really kind of. feel like I was really lucky. I was really lucky. Yeah. Wow. So you've been in marketing for your whole career basically. Well, yeah, I mean, since I'm 11 years old, I was watching my mother sell corned beef, you know, and right. ham. Right, right. And 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 say what else instead of anything else? That was one of the very first things. I, I teach moderators, and that I do teach them that. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. And the, the other thing I teach people, so, so for example, you as an interviewer as well, um, rather than saying, what is the answer to something? What, you know, why do you, or what is the thing that, if you say, what might it be? Why might you blah, 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 blah? Mm. It gives people permission because might could be anything. But they feel mm. what it really is. Mm, right, 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 right. It's like, give me your best guess, kind of. Why might? Ah. But it's only a guess. It's only a guess. You don't have to take full It doesn't have to be 100% accurate. Right. Right. Ah. Uh, that, that, the that is the coolest. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to write that one down. And what else? And then the lean in. See, now, there was another thing that I learned about. Um, this was particular to a audio only sort of setup when you're mm-hmm. trying to do a conversation or an interview it's you want to avoid seeing the other person say so right now we're on Skype and we could be looking at each other on video right but that wouldn't really serve the purpose of the audio because the audience wouldn't be able to see each us our faces right. Right? right so then our communication would be completely different because we can see each other's nonverbal cues and the audience can't. Right. Right. So, so we we're going to, we're going to sound stuff. different. Well, we're just unconsciously going to do shortcuts because I'm going to yeah. see something in your face and you're going to see something in my face. And, and you know, it's like, we're going to shortcut stuff and the conversation is going to be uh, more intimate for you and me. <laughs> 
<laughs> but the right. audience is going to lose a lot of the the conversational fidelity. How's that sound? I love that. That's you know what I have other thoughts about that, and I never heard it said like that before. But okay. I think that is brilliant, and I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, I didn't make it up. I took a a, a class. Uh, have you ever heard of Alex Bloomberg? No, I he have. Was, I mean, you uh, mentioned- he was a producer on a NPR show called This American Life. Right. Okay. So he's kind of like that NPR narrative journalism kind of guy. Yes. And uh, and he did a um, he did a class on this website called Creative Live on how to do that, <laughs> how to do this narrative kind of pseudo journalism sort of thing that he does. And that was one of his tips was you want to, you know, just what I said, you know, make sure you, you simulate because whatever you put on tape is all the audience has. Right. So there's a lot of people out there like uh, Joe Rogan. I don't know if you know him, but he does video and audio for his podcasts. Right. So some people see everything. So if you want to see everything, you have to watch the video. But there's also an audio version. But if you just listen to the audio, you're losing a ton of stuff because there's two dudes with uh, having a chat, maybe more, right? And and then a bunch of other people that, that aren't on camera, but they're interacting too, you know? It's not like, you know, so it's it, it's kind of weird. No, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And I learned fairly early that I could run a focus group that was totally audio right, or, or do interviews and actually learn more because there was less of my unconscious interpretation of body language because when we're on the phone – we have to communicate better because you can't see the other person. Right, right. And something happens as you were talking now, and you know, I have a picture of you. I just see that one smiling picture of you. Right, right. But I can kind of imagine your face, your facial expressions, and until you were mentioning that, I forgot that I'm naturally doing that. And so, right, right, right. like your ear is tuned to pick up stuff. By training, by, by doing a lot of it, but also the fact that we have to talk. And we've been talking on the phone since we were like two years old, right? Right. We know how. Say, right. Right. Say hi to, to, to Aunt Schnooky. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Aunt Schnooky. <laughs> so your, say your, say your nickname again, Snooky. Right. Like Snooky, wasn't there a famous Snooky? Oh no no! I'm thinking of Sookie. Sookie, oh, right. Sookie like, was Sookie from uh, 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 True Blood. <laughs> yeah, Sookie well. Stackhouse. You're Snooky without the S H, so just S N. Wow. S N O O K I E. Got it. <laughs> Doctor Snooky. <laughs> I love it. And hi, Aunt Schnook. There you go. Right, really. <laughs> hey, this has been a blast. Uh, I had a really good time, but we're, we've been talking for an hour, if you can believe it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Where did that time go? It was fun. It was really fun. So thank you for hanging out with me on my Sunday morning and your Sunday afternoon. And uh, I really appreciate it. 
Well, thank you, Jeff. It was great fun. And before we go, I'm going to say your URL one more time so people can uh, reach out to you and connect. It's uh, tlgonline.com slash bizmarketing. And you can learn all about all of Dr. Sharon's killer techniques. <laughs> I learned so much and it was only an hour. It feels like I got a, an hour of free coaching on interviewing. There you go. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-double-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.